Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved. It's Memorial Day. I almost couldn't say that right. And it's good to be with you. And I want you to know I'm not actually with you today. This is a new program pre-recorded for you today. But um, we're all Station of the Cross and everybody are with families and enjoying this very wonderful Memorial Day. Um, and so you won't be, everything else will be the same. And I will take your emails and texts after the um the first half hour, uh, but you won't be able to call in today. I'm so sorry, um, but it's good to be with you. And I'm looking for something that I have, I do here. Um, there's an article on catholiconline.org, or catholic.org, I think it is. Um, and it's about, uh, it's a Catholic Memorial Day. And I thought I would read that a little bit to give us a little history of it. I took the easy way out, finding an article that already did it for me. Catholic Online, what it is, catholiconline.org. And it begins, <clears throat> Why are human beings willing to fight and die for freedom? And in fact, I'm going to interrupt this article to say that we, in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic and um uh, all the uh, decisions that have been made and our lockdowns and um, different things that we've been um, put under. Um, why are we willing to fight and die for freedom? And we are. We are, especially in the United States. As Americans, it goes on to say, this Memorial Day, we will remember those who died in the service of our country. But as Catholic Americans... We should also reflect on the meaning of true freedom and thank God for the church, which proclaims the way to the fullness of that freedom. And I'm going to say again, I pray that um, that our, our, our Holy Father, our cardinals, our bishops, our priests will continue to proclaim the way to that freedom and um, again, be in the world and not of it, just as Jesus said. He goes on to say, I honor those in my family and yours who paid the ultimate price for the freedom that I have enjoyed as an American. However, I believe that some today have trivialized the meaning of freedom or distorted it beyond recognition. True freedom is much deeper than being able to do what we want. Freedom directs us toward truth, and choosing the truth perfects our exercise of freedom. I'll just say here that St. Augustine is famous for his statement that um, uh, when we say, uh, how do we know God's will for our life? He says, love God and do what you will. That's the whole key to life. Love God and do what you will. Because if you love God, your will will be united with his and whatever your heart wills, you can do and you'll know you'll be in God's will. Um, again, uh, this author says, the Catholic Catechism is so very helpful for our understanding. The more one does what is good, the freer one becomes. Uh, there is no true freedom except in the service of what is good and just. And I, I've said 
earlier in the week that God gives us freedom. He gives us free will not to do what we want, but to do what is right. Again, if we love God, we can do what we will, not always what we want, but our will has to be exercised as well. Because sometimes what we want is not profitable. But if we love him, we can do what we will. And our free will is always directed not to doing anything we want, but um, to doing what is right. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so the truth always guides us to what is right and good and holy. Um, The Catholic Catechism says, the more one does what is good, um, I'll read the whole sentence now, the whole paragraph, the, the freer one becomes. There is no true freedom except in the service of what is good and just. I'm still quoting, the choice to disobey and to do evil is an abuse of freedom and leads to the slavery of sin. Freedom makes man responsible for his acts to the extent that they are voluntary. Progress in virtue, knowledge of the good, and a ceases um, uh, enhance the mastery of the will over its acts. That's Catechism uh, Numbers 1731 to 1734. The Church teaches us that to understand freedom, we need to consider both our nature and the very purpose of our humanity. Through our physical bodies, we sum up the elements of the material world and bring them to their highest perfection and freely raise their voice in praise to the Creator. It's a quote from Gaudium at Gaudium Spes. Thus we know that we are more than the material world for which we have the capacity to appreciate and give thanks. Once we understand that we are a unity of body and soul created in the image of God and endowed with reason and free will, we are ready to taste of the Church's teaching on freedom. The um, uh, paragraph 1730 of the Catechism uh, is short, but its breadth is enormous. It states that, quote, God created man a rational being, conferring on him the dignity of a person who can initiate and control his own actions. God willed that man should be left to his own counsel so that he might of his own accord seek his creator and freely attain his full and blessed perfection by cleaving to him, his creator. That's what Adam and Eve did not do, right? This continues to say the perfection of any created thing is to be able to fully act according to what it is to its nature. St. Francis of Sales Uh, One of his most well-known statements is, be yourself and be that well. Be yourself and be that well. And this says, the perfection of any created thing is to be able to fully act according to what it is, to act according to its nature. And in this respect, the thing gives glory to its creator. On the other hand, when for any reason a thing cannot fully act according to its nature, we correctly view it as lacking in a good. When a person cannot fully act according to their human nature, this lacking in a good can take on a moral dimension and result in the loss of freedom. 
human beings, by virtue of their reason and free will, are unique among all other created things in that they can freely choose to act in ways that are not in accord with their nature. That is, they can turn away from God and reject their own perfection, which is to become fully human and fully alive. That's such an important statement that tells us about Adam and Eve and the choice they made. I'm going to reread that. Human beings, by virtue of their reason and free will, are unique among all other created things. And you know we're the only creatures made in the image of God because he's given us reason and will. We are the only um, uh, beings. Uh, we are unique among all other created things in that they can freely they can freely choose to act in ways that are not in accord, in accord with their nature. We, as human beings, can act in ways that are not in accord with our nature. That is, we can turn away from God and reject our own perfection. Our own perfection is to become fully alive, fully human. However, turning away from God is not true freedom. It is an abuse of freedom. Instead of freeing us, it enslaves us. We need to understand this point because it's critical. Therefore, I have selected, he says, two examples. First, in order to help us understand the significance of the abuse of freedom, Dr. Scott Hahn gives us a general example using a train. It is the nature of a train to run on tracks. As long as the train remains on the tracks, it is able to carry people or needed materials across the country. If one day... The train viewed its tracks as restricting its freedom and decided to jump its tracks, what would happen? Therefore, acting according to our nature liberates and frees us, you see. If the train says, I'm out of here, this is boring, same track, back and forth, back and forth all my life. This is boring, I want to be free. So it jumps the tracks onto the grass, and now it can't budge, now it can't function, now it cannot fulfill the purpose for which it was created. And he says, therefore, acting according to our nature liberates and frees us. Acting against our nature results in a kind of slavery because we are no longer free to be all that we can be. And there's a second example here, but I'm going to uh, give you my own. Um, uh, God is love, and he's made us in his image. And the only time we are fully free is when we love. Love gives gives itself to another. It's the only time we are fully free. And so, um, if I do something out of sort, I'm I lack kindness, or I'm critical, whatever it is, blessed be God, I get an immediate little stab through my heart, and I feel terrible. It may not be a big deal, but I feel terrible. And until I correct that or apologize to the person and ask God for forgiveness, I'm not free. I'm under that little gift of guilt that God gave us to know that's something wrong. And as soon as we uh, clear that with God and with man, then we're free again. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. There's the music for our break, beloved. And you're not going to be able to call in today because this is a pre-recorded program. It's a fresh one for you today. But uh, we'll be right back with you after the break. We stand at a crossroads in history. 
We can stand up for life, family, in a Christian culture, or we can stand idly by while the fabric of society becomes fundamentally anti-life, anti-family, and anti-Christian, slowly leading to its own demise. LifeSite News is the leading defender of life, family, and Christian culture. Through our news reporting, we seek to educate readers with information and zeal. They need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, and we need your help to continue that mission. You can support LifeSite News by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Another way to support LifeSite is to prayerfully consider becoming a Sustain Life monthly donor to help us continue to save lives in the culture. To donate, visit give.lifesitenews.com forward slash sustain life. Our staff of over 40 and millions of future generations, thank you for helping to save the culture. Join us here on the Station of the Cross for the Liturgy of the Hours at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern with the Office of Readings read at 3 o'clock. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus tells us where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. The Liturgy of the Hours is also known as the Divine Office and is the daily prayer of the Church. So you know you'll be uniting your prayer with priests, religious, and laity throughout the world. It's comprised of small reflections, readings from sacred scripture, and writings from saints and theologians. To learn more about the Liturgy of the Hours, visit thestationofthecross.com. That's thestationofthecross.com. Pray with us each day at 5 a.m., 3 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, um, to Mother Miriam Live. And we are right in the middle of an article um, on Memorial Day, and hold on so I don't lose it. Where is it? Did I lose it? Hold on now. Here it is. Just a minute. Um, hold on one minute. I'm so sorry. I think we're just at the end. Um, and we're talking about what true freedom is. And again, now that we're back from the break, I'll repeat that this is a, a new program but it is pre-recorded for Memorial Day, so you won't be able to call in, but I've got many of your emails still, and I'll, um, as soon as we finish this article, we're just about at the end, I'll go to your emails and text. Um, okay, um, so the first answer of uh, freedom is, um, uh, or the rash, rather the abuse of freedom is... Uh, uh, was taken from Scott Hahn, who said that a train is free as long as it's on its tracks. And once it jumps the tracks because it's bored, doesn't want to be on those tracks anymore, it cannot function, it cannot move an inch. Freedom is being who God has made us to be, being fully, fully alive. Uh, the second example, Blessed John Paul II gives us a more specific example in the Gospel of Life. He shows us that when freedom is no longer based on objective truth, it destroys itself. All right. Objective truth, not what we think, not what we feel, 
not what seems right to us, but what is true outside of ourselves. He says, since freedom is inherently relational, if the self is understood in terms of absolute autonomy, as it is in secular society, then people will eventually reject each other as each person seeks to have their interests prevail. This is so important. Thus, society becomes a mass of competing individuals without mutual bonds. Such a society does not become more free. It becomes less free as vice, corruption, brutality, and oppression inevitably increase. Um, the United States, uh, this is my own comment here, is, is so, so known for its plurality, its individualism. Um, and I think New York is a good image of this, where you see every, uh, every race, every culture, um, every, every language, all there in one big city. And you, you, everyone's doing their own thing, walking their own way, uh, and they're individuals. There's no sense of a, being a people. There's no sense of being a people. Um, and God intended us to be a people uh, with relation, uh, dialogue, and, and compassion, and all of that. But we're so independent. When I lived in New York, I didn't even know Christ. I ran two companies, and one at a time. And then I would, I would just leave work. I'd go home, shut my door, sometimes shut my phone off, and nobody, quote-unquote, bothered me. What kind of a thing is that? Huh? Now we answer 24-7. What kind of a thing is that? But that's the way I was. I was happy to be free to get away from everybody. And that's not free. You don't learn to love that way. You don't learn to, um, you only learn to be selfish that way. You have what you want when you want it as you want it. And the article says, now I believe we can try to answer our original question. One reason why we human beings are willing to fight and die for freedom is because the need for freedom is imprinted into our very nature. By virtue of our ability to reason and our free will, we are impelled to seek truth, especially religious truth. I wonder if there's a family listening who doesn't experience some of this, even in their own family. Um, I know of a family once where the children were going their own ways, especially as they got into the teenage years. Uh, some of them were arrested. Some of them were on drugs. Uh, they had no conversation with their parents except a passing word when they had to. Uh, no obedience. They kept to themselves and nobody had a right, not even their own mother and father, to impose on them. And I watched as, as this family slowly gave their lives to Christ and the children began to share their lives with their parents. So much so that the parents would be in bed at midnight sleeping and the children would come in and jump on their bed and want to tell them everything about their date or their day or whatever it was. And they became whole and it became a family. Truly, truly, I've seen miracles happen that way. So, okay, we are now, even before our second break, we're going to go to um, catch up on some emails that is uh, more difficult to do uh, during the day. Um, 
during uh, our live programs when people can call in. So I'm going to go straight to your emails and catch up a little bit today. Um, we have a text, actually, from Gary. And Gary says, good morning. Is Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 true? All will, throughout all eternity, heaven and hell coexist. Thanks. I'll look those verses up. Um <clears throat> Okay, let me look them up. It's good uh, to quote things if you're going to be asking a question, but I've got them here. Hold on. Revelation, are they true? Of course, if they're in scriptures, they're true. The answer is yes. I don't have to look at what they say to answer you. Yes, everything in scripture is true. The question is, what is its meaning within its context to whom it's being written? And so here's Revelation chapter 21. And the verses 4 and 5, I will read them, but I'm going to start at verse 1 so that we get the context of those verses. And uh, the Apostle John is writing, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. Now verses 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Also he said, Write these, for these words are trustworthy and true. So to answer your question, uh, the the writer himself, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle John, is telling you that they're true. All scripture is true and inspired by God. And so is Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 true? Yes. Or will throughout all eternity heaven and hell coexist? That's not a a contrast to this verse. Uh, Yes, throughout all eternity, heaven and hell will coexist. Um, But God, again, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. No mourning, no crying, no pain. The four things have passed away. To whom is God writing? He's writing to those who are with him in the new heaven and the new earth. That's to whom he's writing. Let me continue this chapter. Um, uh, Further, if I just skip a few verses, um, he says this. Well, I won't skip anything. Uh, Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without price from the fountain of the water of life. Those, no, he who conquers shall have this heritage. He who conquers, he who conquers sin, he who is forgiven, he who is in a state of grace. It's speaking to the saved. Um, He who conquers shall have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, as for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
And yes, that is through all eternity, beloved, all eternity. So let me encourage you anytime that you uh, read a verse of scripture and it seems shocking or it seems contrary to what you have been taught or whatever it is, don't pick out a verse or two. Always at least read the chapter so you get it in context. <clears throat> Sometimes you have to read more than, cha- than one chapter to get it in context, but it, it's greatly helpful. Okay, we have a text from somebody who writes in anonymously and says, Dear Mother Miriam, I'm listening to you now and I am confused. Well, that's understandable. <laughs> I married an agnostic Jew in the Catholic Church by a priest. I am a devout Catholic. Why would the priest allow me to be joined with the devil? Thank you for your explanation. My apologies if I misunderstood. God bless you. Those are Paul's words. First Corinthians. Why marry Christ with Belial? In other words, said, don't be unequally yoked. Don't marry unbelievers because you're joining Christ with, with Belial, with the world, with the prince of this world who is Satan. That's right. Why would a priest do that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there's, there's a certain provision for someone to marry a Jewish person if they're Catholic. And there's a certain provision. Um, it's right almost in the front of my head, but I cannot uh, remember it at the moment. It has to go through the bishop. It has to go through the church. Two people just cannot be married without this provision. Um, and it applies uh, to somebody who's Jewish. I don't think it applies to anyone else. So why the priest um, would allow you to be joined with an unbeliever altogether, um, I have no idea. I have no idea who the priest was. I don't know why he did that. Um, I don't know, in other words, for you to marry an agnostic Jew, that agnostic Jew would need to agree to raise your children Catholic he would have to agree, or she, um, uh, I don't know if, who this is, so it's anonymous, he or she would have to agree to the, all the church's moral laws, including um, not practicing birth control, no contraception, uh, all of that. They'd have to agree to your being, you say you're a devout Catholic, the only person who's a devout Catholic is that person who follows all, all the precepts of the church, which means you would never contracept, um, you would keep the Sabbath holy, the Sunday, you would follow all the holy days, and you'd go to confession, you'd receive the Eucharist, um, and um, you would be fully Catholic. Uh, why you would marry an agnostic Jew and submit, subject your children to such unbelief is something that I don't understand. You're putting them in danger of not being in heaven so uh, and not being taught by their, their dad, who is a key figure in the house. He's to be the head of the home. Someone who's not Catholic and who doesn't believe cannot really function as the head of the home under the Catholic principles. So it's a big question mark. Um, we will be back right after this break, beloved, and I'll take more of your emails and your texts. And again, um, no call-ins this hour uh, because we're pre-recorded. We'll be right back.
Love learning more about the church, but confused or disheartened by the struggles we are facing today? Follow LifeSite News Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, or sign up for LifeSite Catholic emails and stay up to date on the constant stream of news about the Catholic Church. Our church is in a time of crisis, and we as laity have a responsibility and a duty to educate ourselves and stay true to the faith. LifeSite News Catholic is dedicated to keeping the laity informed and educated. To follow us, go to Facebook or Twitter and search LifeSite News Catholic. As Mother Miriam always says, we must live as if it were true. Put your pro-life convictions into action and stand out for life every Saturday morning, wherever you may be. We'll be broadcasting live 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern, hosted by myself, Jim Havens, and Father Stephen Imbarato as we stand out live on location. But this is more than a broadcast. It's a call to action. Grab a pro-life sign and publicly take a stand outside of a local abortion center or any high-traffic area like an exit ramp, overpass, or street corner. And as you do, listen to the Stand Out for Life broadcast. If you're in the Eastern Time Zone, stand out from 9 to 10 a.m. and listen live. But if you're in a different time zone, the broadcast is easily available to you via podcast shortly after it airs on the iCatholic Radio app. So you can stand out and listen anytime that is most convenient for you. The main thing is that we We all take at least an hour to stand out for life in public witness every Saturday, even if it's just sitting on the front porch holding a pro-life sign. Whatever you can do, we all must take a part in public witness for the end of abortion. God bless you. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I'm thrilled to be with you. And just a reminder again, this is a pre-recorded program for you today, so uh, we won't be able to call in live, but I'm catching up on your, some of your emails. Um, we have an email from someone who says, this is Catherine. When the churches open up again, how do we receive communion with the virus going around? And what if the priest is coughing while doing communion, she says. Well, um, hopefully if the priest is coughing, he takes proper precautions and um, you know, turns uh, properly away from all the elements and uses his handkerchief. And if he's sick, he shouldn't be celebrating communion. But how do you receive communion uh, the same way you always have? But to try to keep in mind, or do keep in mind, the the restriction, the social restrictions of um, keep six feet apart, that's all. Just to keep six feet apart, and you're welcome to wear a mask if you wish, uh, if you have any bit of a cold, you should wear a mask to protect other people. That's mostly the masses. The masks are protect others. Um, so it would be the same as always. It should be the same as always, again, with social distancing and um, proper respect for other people. We have an email from Rhonda, and she says, Our archdiocese in Portland, Oregon, has restarted masses with 25 people 
The issue is that they are requiring you to give your name, phone number, and email in order to attend Mass. The reason is so that they can give contact information to help health authorities if someone comes down with COVID-19. I contacted them and said, this seems like our religious freedoms are being violated. They are. You're very right. Um, the, com- the communication director said, I'm guessing this is the di- Archdiocese of Portland. The communication director said, no, it is the right thing to do in order to notify people who may be exposed. It's, it's, I will never do that. I will not give my name, address, and phone number or any other contact information to anyone in a church that they're going to turn it over to government. That's completely naive. I told him to please let the archbishop know I would not be attending until it was lifted. I asked why they don't take names when I come into confession or adoration. Um, so if this act is for love of neighbors, neighbor just take names of anyone anytime they come into the church. And in fact, I heard that from the government once. If anyone's in a church for any reason, more than 10 minutes, you're to take their name, address, and phone number. It's it's awful. I would never, ever succumb to that. And I I urge you not to. We're not letting the government take this sort of control. They'll always say it's for your gen- your benefit. It is not. Um, the last sentence here, the last reply was a reminder that we are given a dispensation from Sunday Mass. Your thoughts? Well, again, my thoughts are um, uh, you don't need to give anyone your contact information. Uh, I don't think they're going to bodily throw you out of the church. Um, if they if they do, then you have other courses to take. But um, do not let them take your name and phone number and address and turn it over to anybody. That's not for anybody's protection. That's for uh, the spread of communism and utter control. I'm not overreacting. It's really terrible. Um, on Sunday Mass, uh, many bishops have, quote-unquote, given a dispensation because if churches are not giving communion uh, or allowing you to receive communion at Mass or you don't wish to for reasons of health, um, uh, you the, the Cardinal Burke in his message yesterday, really to the world, through the Rome Life Forum. You can find it online, Rome Life Forum, the talk of Cardinal Raymond uh, Leo, Raymond Leo Burke, uh, May 20th of this year, 2020. He said he's a top canon lawyer of the church, um, and he said no power is given to bishops or priests, cardinals, anyone, to um, give a dispensation from Sunday Mass. That's not a human law, he said. It's a divine law, and no one has the power to dispense anyone from it. Um, just as uh, we're not dispensed on any Sunday apart from the coronavirus, and yet if someone is sick or there's an accident or there's a grave reason, they cannot keep the law. They cannot do it, and they're not accountable for it. But they are not dispensed. They are excused because they were not able to keep the law. Um, and But to dispense people from the law, absolutely not. You, uh, no one has that power. It's God's law, and God knows what he's doing. And so if priests say, if you're, if even priests that are opening churches and forbidding 
the elderly to come. I've heard that. Or if you're over 65, you cannot come, or we suggest you do not come. That is just horrifying. It's the population over 65 that most needs it, and it should be up to every individual. Uh, If they don't feel up to coming, or they're vulnerable, uh, their immune system is low, or they're afraid to come, they don't have to. But um, for anyone to forbid a certain class of people from coming is, again, outside of God's law. Uh, Bishops are taking control that they don't have, they are giving the government a control that the government doesn't have to order them. Absolutely. Uh, we are we're kind of falling over and letting ourselves be um, led into a state of um, um, atheistic materialism, which is how Cardinal Burke defines uh, communism. That's where we're headed right now. We're headed... That way, because the church is obeying the state, it has no, no, uh, it doesn't have to obey the state on anything. And the state has no right to order the church at all on anything. And it's been made clear that bishops and priests have no right to keep the sacraments from the sheep. No right whatsoever. I know this sounds terrible, and I, I, um, uh, to, to some bishops and maybe some priests, and I'm not hollering at you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm your sheep. I beg you. I, 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 it's the only thing I can do to know the law, to know what is divine, to know what you are ordained to do, and that is to be faithful and not only not abandon the sheep, but not counter to God's law, God's divine law, in, for their, quote, unquote, for their own good. It is not for their good. We have an email from uh, Lydia from Ontario, Ontario, Canada, and she says, Hello, I missed part of your show this morning, and I believe you were discussing that it's right to worship still. It's all right to worship still. It's always all right to worship. I'm not quite sure what you mean. I don't know if you mean it's all right to go to church still. I'm not sure what you're saying. She says, My question to you is I found a Maronite Catholic church, and during lockdown, the priest is broadcasting a live mass and allowing about six to eight people to attend, and I was invited. That's wonderful. I'm not comfortable doing this because I know the priest is diabetic. Everyone is social distancing. They have adoration and said I could come, but of course it would only be me in the chapel at certain times. Is it okay to do this when our churches are not essential service yet? So by the bishop, they are closed. Thank you. The churches are essential business. The fact that the government does not account the church as essential business just shows their lack of knowledge, understanding, and faith. And bishops who go along with it are not living their faith and their protection of us as shepherds. Uh, yes, it is fine that you go to a Maronite church. Don't worry that the bishop, that the priests are diabetic. We receive mass, uh, the uh, consecrated hosts, all the time from diabetic priests. Don't worry about all that. Yes, go. Keep your social distancing. That'll help. But absolutely go and receive the Eucharist. I'd be on cloud 10 to be invited. That's absolutely fine. And the Maronite Church is fully in line with the Catholic Church. 
you're free to go and you're free to receive communion if your own parish um, is not distributing communion. Absolutely. Okay. We have an email from Denise who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I hope you are well. I've heard you as well as some clergy speak on the subject of receiving the sacred host in the hands. I agree that Christ is more. Christ more than deserves all the reverence we can give him. However, I just read this morning this excerpt from St. Faustina's diary, diary below. It's on meditation, and it's one time when St. Faustis, St. Faustis, oh, I can't say it, St. Faustina received Holy Communion, communion, a second host fell into her hand. Okay. And this is the, um, this is the commentary, and it fell into her hand, and she didn't take it in the hand, but when the priest gave her communion on the tongue, a second host fell into her hand. Thank God it fell into her hand, not on the floor. And she writes this, I desired to rest in your hands. Oh, Jesus said that. I desired to rest in your hands, not only in your heart. And at that moment, I saw the little Jesus. But when the priest approached, I saw once again only the host. One morning, this is Saint, the di- that's 160 in the diary, 183 says this, One morning after Holy Communion, I heard this voice, I desire that you accompany me when I go to the sick. Absolutely. And she says, I find it interesting that a second sacred host fell into her hands and that Christ said to her that he desired to be held in her heart and her hands. Do you have any comments regarding this? It seems that Christ chose to be in her hands. Thank you, Denise. Well, it certainly does seem that. I've read the entire diary, but I don't I don't recall this, but it's in there. Um I don't know that. Our Lord does not appear to everyone as he appeared to St. Faustina. If you you read the diary of St. Margaret Mary, he asked St. Margaret Mary to do certain things that he would, uh, that to this day, I'm so affected by reading it, I could never imagine doing it. It, it uh, and, and Christ wouldn't ask it of me. And so there are certain souls that Christ um, chooses for certain things. Um, I even had an email uh, today from someone who called in and left the question uh, concerning where aborted babies go. I think we spoke about that yesterday, and I said the church cannot answer that because the only sacrament we know is is necessary, necessary, not a good idea, necessary for for salvation is baptism, and babies that are aborted in their mother's womb cannot be baptized. And so where do they go? They haven't committed actual sin. They still have original sin, but they are not accountable for actual sin. So why don't they go to heaven? Well, again, we cannot say that anyone who's unbaptized goes to heaven. We cannot say that. And I mentioned St. Augustine's statement that God is bound to the sacraments, but we are not. Uh, the other way around, forgive me. We are bound. We, 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 we. We are bound to the sacraments. God is not. He can do what he wishes. But we cannot teach and this that unbaptized babies go to heaven. We cannot teach that because the church doesn't teach it. Does that mean they don't go to heaven? It means that they're in the hands of an all-wise, all-loving God who wishes that none perish. But we cannot know. 
what God does with them or where they'll be. And the person that wrote the email said that John the Baptist was sanctified in his mother's womb, Elizabeth, and therefore that shows that babies could be sanctified. Uh, No, it does not. It shows that God gave a very special grace to John the Baptist because the Blessed Mother was sanctified uh, in her mother's womb uh, by a singular grace at the moment of her conception. It means that God can do those things, but he doesn't do them except certain exceptions. So um, we need to be careful to assume certain things. And I, I would say what God did with St. Faustina, um, he would have fa- fallen into our hands, and I will guarantee you those hands were, were pure. Um, and for us to accompany him to the sick, absolutely. For us to priests to go to the sick during coronavirus, absolutely. We put ourselves in God's hands. We don't assume we're immune from anything but we are Christ to the world. There's the music. We'll be right back. The future of the family is grim. As Our Lady of Fatima said, the final battle will be for the family. It truly seems as though we're in the heat of this final battle and we need your help. Our mission at LifeSite News is to educate and activate readers with the information they need to defend life and the family and restore Christian culture. We are currently the most popular pro-life website on the internet with over 40 million unique users every year. And we've been experiencing an even bigger reach than ever this year. But we need your help to reach more of the 7.7 billion people on earth if we are to truly succeed in changing the culture. Please consider donating to help our mission of promoting the culture of life and fearless defenders of the faith like Mother Miriam. Visit give.lifesite.news.com to give today. Thank you for your support. This is Rick Paolini and Father Jacek Mazur. Join us every Sunday morning. We'll be delving into the diary of St. Maria Faustina and discussing the topics important in your life. Whether you're wrestling with willpower or praying for patience, God uses the diary to speak to your struggles. So tune in for Divine Mercy in My Soul every Sunday morning at 11. And catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday evening at 8. Jesu ufam tobie. Jesus, I trust in you. Hi, this is Terry Barber from the Terry and Jesse Show. Every week we bring you the gospel with clarity and charity. We want you to know Jesus and his bride, the church. If you have any questions about the faith or what is happening in the church, be sure to tune in each week. We love it when you join the conversation at 888-526-2158. It's the Terry and Jesse Show, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, heard around the world on the iCatholic radio app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, beloved. It's our last segment, and I'm going to take as many emails as I can. As I've said before, this is a pre-recorded program, so you're not able to call in today, but that lets me catch up on some of your emails. And the next is from Laura, and she says, Hi, Mother, I get these daily quotes from St. Faustina's diary. Interestingly, this one references communion in the hand. 
I know there is a lot of outrage about this. What are your thoughts given this quote? Thank you. And may God bless you, Laura. Um, well, Laura, we just answered that uh, from the previous email, so I, I do hope you heard the answer. And basically it was what God did, especially with St. Faustina, and what he does with some saints, he doesn't do with everyone. So, um, And it, it has been proven that uh, c- communion in the hand is generally more dangerous for catching coronavirus than um, communion on the tongue. If if a priest knows properly how to distribute communion on the tongue, he should not be wearing a mask, he should not be wearing Playtex gloves. It's all treating the Eucharist, uh, it's, it's debasing our Lord. Uh, if he knows how to properly distribute communion on the tongue, it's much safer than on the hand, much safer. Um, and and again, communion on the tongue is the norm of the church, and no one, I know they do it. I know priests and bishops forbid it, but they don't have a right. They're they're going against uh, their right as uh, what they should be doing as priests and bishops. I, again, I could never say it out of my own. I'm I'm speaking about what the cardinals and canon lawyers of the church have taught us and are teaching us even now. And I would urge everyone to go to Cardinal Burke's talk yesterday from the Rome Life Forum. Um, Rome Life Forum, May 20th, 2020, and listen to the entire talk he gave. It's enormously clarifying, not just from uh, Our Lady of Fatima, but from this entire coronavirus. Uh, it's we, we It ends confusion. It doesn't end uh, perhaps the confusion on the part of what's actually happening because people are confused, but it, it eliminates confusion because it gives us truth. And I, I would wish for every bishop to watch that and believe it. We have an email from Jane who says, Dear sister, I'm on the struggle bus. I never heard that before, a struggle bus. I woke up yesterday thinking, why am I here? Oh dear, it is hurting my heart. I know that I have many blessings. I have five children who are miraculous people, and I have six darling grandchildren. I've been married to my husband, Paul, for 40 years. We have a nice home, attend St. Andrew's Cathedral in Little Rock, Arkansas, and a good marriage, good relationships with our family. We have close friends. I love my dog. She puts LOL, laughing out loud. I gave up a legal... You're making a lot of people jealous, Jane, right? Uh, Just by describing your situation. She says, I gave up a legal career to raise my children. I grew up with a traumatic childhood, and I want to pass a baton of a healthy, loving home, and I was able to achieve that. Only by my conversion to the church in 1990 and by the grace of God. Well, blessed be his name. Today I heard on the Catholic World Radio several questions, and the one that stood out to me was praying the rosary every day. I intend to do that. I don't know if I am wallowing in self-pity or not. It was good to hear on the Catholic World Radio that other people are probably feeling this way. I am also planting a flower garden take my dog for walks, spend more time with Paul because he works long hours, but he is working from home. I'm trying to cook different meals and exercising, but I don't know why I am feeling this way. Could you please give me some thoughts and suggestions as to what to do? I know I'm supposed to do God's will and count my blessings, but all of that feels weak in my heart and soul right now. Love to you, and I thank you, Jane. Jane, dearest one, 
I think I understand. Um, when we have a traumatic childhood, God may bless us greatly by bringing us into his church, by giving us a loving husband, a wonderful family, grandchildren, a dog, a home, everything you have. And you, you'd say, but I don't understand why I had a terrible childhood, but I have a wonderful marriage and family. Why should I be feeling no purpose and all of a sudden going through this traumatic time? And the reason is because the scars we have uh, from childhood rarely leave us. They rarely leave us. And the enemy always looks for a time and a way and circumstances for them to rear their heads again. When everything is fine, um, we can feel all of a sudden go into a depression that we were kept from all those years we raised our children and had a good uh, marriage and all of that. And we turn inward and, um, and all of that now is used against us uh, for self-pity, for feeling alone, feeling no one understands, just really sinking down into the pit. Um, I have a, well, and again, God allows the enemy to attack us that way, and I think that's part of what's happening to you, but only with God's permission. Why would God allow that? Because you have had a traumatic childhood. And most, there's no such thing as today almost as a non-dysfunctional family. And so you have had trauma and scars from your childhood. And I would venture to say that the majority of children today have a traumatic childhood. I would say the majority in and outside the United States with many, 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 many scars. And the future is bleak, bleak. And so I would go before God and say, Lord, I don't know why all these feelings are coming up right now, why I'm on the struggle bus, why this, why if you've given me so much, why am I getting depressed, why am I feeling down, why am I having a pity party, uh, even for good reason, so to speak, um, why now, after all these years, and I think, beloved, since your children are grown, and your uh, your grandchildren are good, and you have a good marriage, I think it's because God might, it might be time for you to take on um, a ministry of reaching out to those who's, who ha- are having a traumatic childhood. Maybe go to a home for abandoned children. Uh, for four years, I worked for an orphanage and for a home that placed children as wards of the court, and every single one of them were abused at home in every way. It might be a time where you could be a volunteer while your husband's working, he works long hours from home. You might take a couple hours a day or a couple of afternoons a week or whatever works out and find a home where you can uh, give your love to those children. No one can give love to an abused child or a child that's had a traumatic um, upbringing like someone who comes from that background. That's why I, Paul, Paul writes to the Corinthians that we comfort others by the comfort which we are given. And so you were given that comfort. Um, and you now have an understanding of the depth of hurt that people can live with, hopelessness, all of that. And you can reach out to them and really connect and you don't have to give them one advice after another. They just need someone who can listen and be there for them and hug them and just 
be constant in their lives, someone who will love them, not based on what they feel about themselves, not based on their performance, but um, based on the fact that God is love and you represent God to them. That's what I would say to you, dear ones. So um, I hope in some way, Jane, this helps and say, Lord, okay, this, this, uh, this reaction of being on the struggle bus and you know all of that, I don't like it, I don't want it, I'm not taking that direction. Help me to find uh, someone, a ministry, a group to pour my love into who desperately need it and who have had a dysfunctional background the same or less or worse than mine but um, uh, but have not uh, been blessed as I have, dear Lord. So pray for them. Pray that God will reach their hearts the way he's reached yours. Okay, Jane, God bless you. Um, and um, we'll speak with everybody tomorrow live. Okay, God bless you and a good Memorial Day with your family.